welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. there this morning. You can go ahead and get going there. I, I had some conversations yesterday and, um, you know, I, I hate to start off on a, a heavy note, but, you know, sometimes you hear things in the church and from people in the church and, you know, that, that's just not right. And, and there's some things that we just need to dig into the Bible and discuss. And, and so we're a family. I'm just going to ask you to fess up to it. If, if this is you, we love you, but we want to prayerfully bring you to repentance. Um, how many already have, of you already have your Christmas decorations up? Anybody? How many of you are going to put them up before Thanksgiving? Okay, if that is you, there is an altar down here for you to come repent in just a few minutes. That is not right. We do not do that. We are thankful, then we celebrate Jesus, okay? Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Jordan. So, yeah, you guys know. I'm kidding. But it's all seriousness. When I start talking about Christmas, there's, there's two kinds of people in here. I saw some of those hands shoot up before Thanksgiving. It wasn't like, yeah, that's me. It's like, boom, I'm doing it. There are the people that, those of you are like the descendants of Will Ferrell and elves. You're like, Christmas! right like I cannot wait you've been listening to Christmas music since October 1st like every year in June you do two weeks of Christmas just to refresh yourself that's you guys and then there's the other people in here and you guys are the descendants of Ebenezer Scrooge you're like Brian you put put that Christmas talk back in your pocket until December 1st we don't have time for that and uh, I'm kind of in the middle but what I found about those two groups of people is they marry each other usually, like the Scrooges and the descendants of Elf marry each other. But I just want to go ahead and look at, at this concept of Christmas because in the famous words of Danny Watson, there are six shopping Saturdays left until Christmas. Did you guys know it? Uh, you haven't updated us in a while. I'm going to say it. Merry Christmas! Hey, there's somebody. I know I, I can tell who the ones that are excited. They're all excited about giving that back to me. We're going to go ahead and dive into a series called Planning for Christmas because there's a lot of preparation for Christmas that needs to be done. And if you're like me, you're counting the days and, and you're doing the math. It's like we got to get the tree. we got to put lights on the house. we got to clean the house. we got to make times to go shopping. Every man in here, as I started talking about this, they've got their calendar out and they're putting, you know, 15 minutes on December 24th, go shopping for Christmas presents. You know, it, it's we've got to kind of prepare for Christmas, cleaning the house, get ready for those times together. But I want to make sure that as we prepare for the things that we celebrate Christmas with, that we also take time to prepare our hearts. And not just, not just the sense that we need to say, oh, Christmas is really about Jesus. We need to spend some dedicated time this year just getting our hearts right about what we have the blessing of celebrating. Have you guys thought about this? Like Christmas is, is not about trees. Christmas is not about, it's not about gifts. It's not about lights. It's not about red, our men in red suits coming down the chimney. Christmas is a celebration of what God gifted the world 2,000 years ago. And as we go to Christmas, like it's easy to get caught up in the like, got to go see the lights and do all this stuff. And then Christmas is over and it's like, whew, we'll do it again next year. 
but we need to really, really focus on what this celebration is about and why we get the blessing of having a, a yearly celebration is a reminder of what God did for us. So we're going to start digging deep over the next eight weeks into the story of Christmas and, and try to see what God is doing in the world during this time. We're going to start out in Luke 1. The first four verses are not traditional Christmas story, but, but we're not going to skip the first four verses of a chapter because they don't meet our narrative. We're going to talk about this and we're going to start going through piece by piece, verse by verse, concept by concept, the, con uh, the, the idea of Christmas. Chapter 1, verse 1 here. Luke 1. For us so much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Even as they delivered them unto us which were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order... Uh, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theopolis, that thou mightest know the certainty of the things wherein thou hast been instructed. So this is Luke writing this, and, and we're going to just kind of address how he opens up this chapter here and why he's writing, and he's eventually going to get to the Christmas story, and we want to know, why did he write the Christmas story like he did? Uh, the first thing he tells us is that he has a purpose for writing. He's writing, he addresses this book, this chapter, to a guy named Theopolis, and he says, Theopolis, I, I want you to have a complete understanding or have access to a complete understanding of all the things that tra transpired with, with this Jesus person, with this thing that happened. You need the whole story put in one place. And, and most people don't know who Theopolis is, and, and including me. Nobody really knows who he is. But if you kind of study that out, there's, there's one context clue in there that, that people have started to make some theories off, is, is Luke addresses him as most excellent. Now that's, that's a title that you don't like always like say to people like I don't come in here and like good morning most excellent Joey you know we, we don't do that here we you guys can start calling me most excellent if you want to but we it's not normal like so this tells us something about Theopolis that, that he's in some kind of a, a position of power and more than likely, um, a lot of scholars believe that this is some form of a Roman ruler that maybe has some jurisdiction over Israel or some part of the Roman Empire. Uh, some people have theorized that the, the book of Luke, along with the book of Acts, which picks up exactly at the end of the book of Luke and is written also by Luke, is actually like a legal brief for defense in Paul's trial, as, as Paul is put on trial for the things that he does for the gospel. Some people feel like that's who Theopolis is. He's somebody who's presiding over a trial or, or defending... Um, Paul during that trial. And there's also two different high priests roughly in this time of history with the name of Theopolis. Now, I said all that to say this. I don't know. But here's what I do know is, is no matter what it is, the purpose of this is getting this story into the hands of someone who is powerful enough to get it to spread. That's what Luke really wants with this. He doesn't want somebody to read this and go, oh, that's a good story and put it on the shelf. He wants this in the hands of someone who can spread it throughout the world, throughout the Roman Empire. And we see by the fact that we have copies of it in front of us that he was actually pretty good at doing that. Now, Luke is in a unique position to be able to write this gospel the way it was written. He said, I want a complete story. Luke was a doctor, and you're thinking, doctors should never write. I don't know if you guys have seen doctors' handwriting, like that they shouldn't be writing things. But Luke was a doctor, which means that he has a scientific mind, and he's going to be able to look at the story of Jesus objectively, piece by piece, and write just objective, fact, 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 and put them in order the way that only a scientist could. He's also unique for the fact that most scholars believe Luke probably was not a believer before the death of Jesus Christ. The other Gospels are written 
written by people who walked closely with Jesus Christ. We, we have John who walked with Jesus Christ as an apostle. We have Matthew who walked with Jesus Christ as an apostle. We have Mark who there is some hints at least that he was around Jesus Christ even though if he was an apostle. Mark was heavily aided by Peter. And, and here you have Luke who's like, I'll just interview people. So he had access to Mary. He had access to Peter. He had access to people that had been healed to believers. And he said, tell me about Jesus. And he compiles them into this large story telling us everything we need to know about Jesus Christ. And so he is inspired by this idea of, I want a complete scientific fact-by-fact story. Now, if you're Luke, the logical starting place, if you're going to talk about Jesus, is like there was this baby. Like, like that's where the story should start. But Luke is actually going to predate the there was this baby, and here's Mary, and here's the angel. He's going to predate that by six months. And that, that strikes me as interesting that he starts telling the Jesus of Christ, not with the conception of Jesus Christ, but with the prep work and the planning that God is putting into bringing Jesus Christ into the world. So we're going to continue reading down through Luke here, and we're going to see what he has to say. He's going to talk about two specific people starting in verse 5. We're going to go verses 5 through 10. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was one of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both were now, I'm sorry, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he was executing the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of, the, of incense. Okay, so let me explain to you what this means. We're introduced by a new guy named Zacchaeus, but I want to look at the, the details Luke puts in here. He doesn't start the story once upon a time in a land far, far away. He gives us an exact date, an exact time, an exact place in the world that this story is going to begin. He starts off within the days of Herod. And if you're not familiar with who Herod was, Herod was a leader and a king of Judea. And he, he's known for two things. Number one is he's known for these giant building project, projects. He, he was always doing great things. He, he revitalized the temple. He did all of these great things in that sense. But he was also known for his intense jealousy. And when I say intense jealousy, if he had a family member who he thought even posed a problem to his throne, he'd have them killed. This is the same Herod that tries to kill Jesus when he hears about him. So, so we have this, this time of Herod, a specific time in history. And Luke begins to talk about a specific priest, Zacharias. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Zacharias. He doesn't show up 90 times in the Bible. He just gets this one little bit of the story, and, and it tells us some things about him. Number one, Zacharias was a priest. He had a wife named Elizabeth. He was getting older, and as I was planning this, I was going to talk about how old I thought he was and, and talk about how that means well-stricken with years, and I thought I might get myself into trouble if I start picking ages that I call old, so I'm going to skip that. But he was older, past the age of childbearing, um, and he was going into a very, oh, I'm sorry, uh, they had no children was the next thing, and they were righteous before God. So this is what we learn about him. He has no child. He's too old to have a child. He's serving the God, and he is getting towards somewhat the end of his life. The Bible is also clear to tell us that the circumstances of them not having children is not a punishment. 
So here's where we're at. At a specific time when a specific person, God starts the Christmas story. This is our first take-home truth, is we serve a precise God. We serve a precise God. Now, that word precise, if you look up the definition of that, look at this. It says, it is marked by exactness and accuracy of expression or detail. Doesn't that express God? That, that he, is, he is always exact with what he plans on doing? That everything has a great deal of detail in it? As we start the story, God is not winging it. It's not like, oh, things are happening and then God just decides to send Jesus. There is a step-by-step process that God is going through to bring us the Messiah, to bring us the Savior of the world. And anything that you build takes that kind of forethought and that precise measuring to make sure it works. If you think about skyscrapers, think about New York City, you go to those skyscrapers, they didn't just come and say, hey, we'll throw some metal together and see if it sticks up. Those buildings are measured to within a 16th, a 32nd, or a 64th of an inch, all the way through their 100 and whatever stories. Those, those buildings are there for a purpose, and it takes a lot of forethought, a lot of measuring, and a lot of planning. Every detail matters when you're building something, and every detail of the story of Jesus Christ matters. So when we celebrate the specialness of Christmas, we're not celebrating something that just happened a long time ago. We're celebrating something that God had a plan to make happen in a very specific way since the beginning of the world. So let's look at some of the things that we can see the preciseness of God in. Looking at the timing here, it starts to talk about Zacharias, and, and you really have to study the Bible to kind of know what's going on here, but it, it talks about him casting lots, and he got this time to burn incense. And to us, that's like the part of the Bible we read over. He's going to burn some incense, he casts lots. If you're not familiar with lot, what lots are, this was a way that people kind of, it was like a game of chance. So sometimes you see in the Bible people casting lots, and it's gambling. But you also see in the Bible that they will cast lots. It's kind of like drawing straws in our world. And, and they expected that God would reveal his plan and his desire through that, that game of chance. Like whoever is chosen through that, they say God caused that to be chosen. And so Zacharias this day, he was chosen for a very special duty. Specifically, he was chosen for maybe the, most, the second most sacred duty that any priest could do. See, at this time, there were about 20,000 20, priests in Israel. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to a church with 20,000 preachers, but you don't need that many. You don't need that many competing with each other. There's not enough jobs for them to do everything. And so the priests would kind of rotate in where they, they would serve in the temple for a period of time and they would go home. And, and there were certain jobs that they did. And one of the jobs was so precious that they cast lots to see who would do that job that day. And this was a once-in-a-lifetime job. You wait all of your life for God to choose you to do this job on this particular day. And here's what the priest will do. He will enter the temple, but most specifically, he will enter a place called the holy place. And to understand why the holy place is, is important, you need to understand the temple. In the temple, there's a place called the holy of holies. And this is God, and in the Old Testament, this is God's dwelling place on earth. When God wants to be with his people, this is where he comes and he dwells among them. But because of our sin, he had to be separated, so he stayed behind a curtain. And the area in the temple around the Holy of Holies was called the Holy Place. It was the only, only priests went in there. They only went in there at certain times of the day to do what God had commanded them to do. And so what Zacharias has chosen to do today is to enter the Holy Place, something that he would only do once in a lifetime. And there he would light incense. And you're like, oh, wow. 
what a calling. You know, light something on fire for God and then go home. But, but this was such an honor because you, you came into as close as you could humanly get to the presence of God and you obeyed him in a ritual that represented prayer and it represented intercession and it represented God's forgiveness. And you had that time of remembrance where you got to lead that particular thing. And, and this is where Zacharias is this particular day. This big, big responsibility. Let me ask you this question. Let me put it this way. Let's say that, that you got a call on the phone after we got out of church today and they said, look, uh, you know, you are going to be assigned a day next year to come to talk to the president, whichever one you prefer. We're not going to get into the, all the election stuff, but whichever one you prefer, you're going to get a chance to talk with the president and he's going to dedicate an hour of his day to sitting in a chair across the table and discussing things with you and talking to you and listening to what you have to say. As you pull up to this, there's going to be reporters that are going to be reporting on you and yes, Brian Coates is here today for his opportunity to talk with the president. He's going to get to sit in the Oval Office and as you walk in, they're taking pictures of you. They, they, they escort you there and you walk into the Oval Office and there sits the president where he says, welcome. Come talk to me about whatever is on your mind. Would that be kind of circle on your calendar as a special day? Would you put a lot of forethought into what you're going to say or would you just walk in and be like, what's up, Prez, you know? This is the day for Zacharias where he's having that kind of a moment, but he's not talking to a president who will die and vanquish into history. He gets to go and he gets to talk and pray to the king of the universe, the creator of everything. And so in this moment, he's going to get to light the incense and then there will be a time of prayer. What do you pray in that moment? Creator of the universe, Lord Almighty, God, hear my words. Let the Razorbacks beat Tennessee today. God, while I've got you, I've got, this, I've got this bruise on my leg and it's not really hurting, but it is kind of ugly when I wear shorts. And God, could you heal my bruise? God, I'm having a barbecue next week. The, the weather needs to be nice. Is that the kind of thing you pray in this moment? Those things all seem trivial. Well, they're trivial anyway, but they all seem trivial. The things that we would normally ask God for seems trivial when you talk about a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go as close as you can to the presence of God and address Him directly, something that most of Israel would never get to do. And so we can, we can be sure with Zacharias that he is going to come in and he is going to pray for one thing. God, will you deliver Israel? God, will you send your salvation to us? Lord, we are waiting patiently for the Messiah. Will you send him quickly? Lord, we need deliverance from our sin in this world. And, and while this happened, all the people outside were praying as well, praying for the priest, praying that God would hear the prayers. And then he would come out and he would say this blessing from number six. He would say, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance unto thee and give thee peace. And this is how they started every day. But this would be Zacharias' only day to lead this. But God had a special plan for Zacharias on this day. Let's keep reading the story in Luke 1, verses 11 through 17. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong, strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. 
And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before them in the spirit and power of Elias. And listen to this next part. This is important. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make way or to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, so here's Zacharias at this exact precise time he's in the altar and all of a sudden here's this angel. We later, later find out it's Gabriel. And you've got to put yourself in Zacharias's thought process here. You know, he's in here, he, he's doing this like, okay, nobody comes in this room. They told me about all the things to do, but they forgot to mention the angel was going to appear. Like, is that a secret that this angel appears next to me and starts talking to me? Put, him, put yourself in his position and think, what would that be like? And this is what the, what the angel comes and tells him. He says, you're going to have a child. Even though you're too old, even though Elizabeth has been barren all of her life, there's a child coming. It's going to be a boy. It's like a gender reveal party in the temple here. Like you're going to have a boy and you're going to name him John. And Zacharias gets this message of, of having a child. But you might ask, like, out of all the times that, that he prayed for that, why in this moment, why in this moment when he comes in to perform this ritual, why in this moment when he comes close to God, why in this moment does God send this message to him? And th this is what's important about this story as it relates to the Christmas story, is God is not just revealing to him you're going to have a child. He, he reveals to him that this child is going to be a forerunner to Messiah. This is, this is God's first revelation to any human that the Messiah is coming, that the plan is starting, that it is going now. And so the Christmas story really begins here with God beginning to do the, the front work and the, the forerunner work. What we find about this child named John is that, that his job is to go before the king and to announce the king's presence. And at this time, as the king would come through town, there'd be someone who would run out ahead of the horses and yell, here comes the king, make way, make ready, open the streets up, the king is coming, get out of the way, prepare to bow. And that's what this child is going to do. He's going to run before the Messiah and say, make your hearts ready for the Messiah. Make your hearts ready for salvation. And so if the forerunner is coming, so must the Messiah be. I, I love what, what God does here at this moment. In, in a time that is defined by a ritual that represents prayer and drawing near to God, God makes this announcement to the world is that God is fixing to draw near to you. God is coming. And Gabriel had told Zacharias, he said, this, this is answered prayers. Which, which prayer did he answer? Did, did he answer the prayer for, for John, who, or I'm sorry, for Zacharias, and who must have prayed all of his life, God, give us a child. God, God, let us be parents. Or is he answering the prayer for the Messiah that he was praying at that moment? And the answer to that is, is both. He answered them together. And suddenly you see everything that Elizabeth and Zacharias had went through, waiting on having a child. It makes sense why God would not answer their prayers because he had this divine plan that at a certain time he would give them a child who would do certain things in leading up to God's bigger plan. So what we see here is that their prayers didn't go unanswered. They were only answered in God's timing. That brings us to our second truth is that we can trust the preciseness of God. We can trust the preciseness of God. You see this, everything about this story, about Zacharias' life, about the moment that he gets this opportunity, it all comes down to the fact that God was working in Zacharias' life before Zacharias had a clue about it. And listen, that exact same precision that we see in God's timing in this story, that's the same precision that made you. Have you ever studied the human body and how all the organs and cells and things work together? 
they, they all work together miraculously. Things that scientists can't even explain or understand even to this day. And God made your body and your soul and everything about you with that exact same precision. Everything that God does is done with precision. If you're wondering about things in your life, timing, and why God hasn't answered prayer, listen to this. God is working a plan in your life with the exact same precision that he worked in this story. Yesterday we received news that, that, that Brother Clarence had passed away and there's a family in our church that's hurting and, and we as a church are hurting as well. There's, there's not maybe a more magnificent man that, that I could point you to and we lost him yesterday. And, and it was a shock. It wasn't expected. We wanted him to be home by now. We were going to talk about deer hunting next week. We, we were going to chuckle about politics and, and just within a day we lost him. And yesterday as, as I went, I, I started to meditate on our scripture today and meditate on the message that was already prepared. This was prepared long before we knew that, that he was even sick. God kind of nudged me and he said, I'm sending a message to Ramsey Heights. Because it may be easy to feel cheated at this moment. It, it may be easy to feel like things didn't work out. But, but God had already prepared to send us this, that his timing is perfect. And it was done with forethought and it was done with planning. It was done with perfection. And there may be a thousand stories in this room like that today where, where you don't know what God's doing in your life and you don't understand his timing, but it's done with precision. God, why can't we have children? When, when are you going to answer our prayers to give us a child? God, when we can't, can we have grandchildren? God, when will my spouse be there? God, why hasn't the sickness gone away? God, why did the job go away? God, why hasn't the job materialized? And we wonder all these questions about why God is not doing in our life what we've asked him to do. And the answer is this, is you are not forgotten. He is working timing in your life to match his overall plans. Just the same way that he did Zacharias. For some of us, and I'm not going to say this is all of us, but I want you to notice about when God answered the prayer for Zacharias. He waited to the moment until Zacharias drew near to him. And sometimes when we find ourselves in patterns of waiting, in times of not understanding God's timing, what he's actually doing is he's allowing us this time of wondering so that we will draw near to him, and then his timing can be accomplished. So if you're wondering, what do I do while I wait? What do I do while I don't understand? What do I do while I have a hard time? The answer is this, draw near to God. Just let that be enough. Trust in his timing. You're not neglected and you are not forgotten. Now Zacharias looked at the timing of God and he did what we would all do. He questioned it. Like God, or he's talking to Gabriel. Gabriel, um, I'm old. <laughs> I'm, I, how am I going to have a child at this old age? And I love Gabriel. I've learned a lot about him the past couple weeks. Gabriel is an angel. He has an attitude, man. Gabriel looks at him and he goes, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and you are going to question me? You're going to question what I'm doing and you're going to question God's timing about when he decided to send you a child? Because, you know, somewhere in Zacharias' mind, he's like, you know, 10 years ago would have been good, God. I was younger then. I was actually capable of having a child. And Gabriel, we find, we find this in this, the rest of the story. We're not going to read it today. But Gabriel looks at him and goes, you know what? If you're going to use your voice to question God's timing, I'm going to take your voice away. And Zacharias spends up until the moment that John is born unable to speak. Now, that tells us something when it comes to us wanting to question God's timing in our lives. Is the voice that should have been used to glorify what God was doing here was used to question God, and therefore it was taken away. It's kind of like that, that use it for the right thing or lose it type thing. 
So Zacharias loses his voice over this. Now, now here's what we're getting to with this story is, is that there is a degree of precision in this, in this uh, plan. Precision equals planning. Planning equals intent. Intent equals forethought. And that tells me one thing is that all of those things together represent importance. God didn't just decide to do this because it, it made him happy. There's an important reason why certain things happen at certain times, why Zacharias experienced this at the moment that he did. So what's so important about this child that is coming? Now, I know what you guys are doing. You're a little confused. Uh, Brian, I'm used to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus in the Christmas story, and you're giving me Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John. Uh, let's just be clear. John is not the Messiah. John is not the Savior. He's not the baby in the stable. We, we, should, we should know that. But he's an important part, an integral part of that story. Because when Gabriel comes, he tells Zacharias, like, listen, here is the things that we have for him. Number one is that from, um, um, from his birth, he will never drink wine or strong drink. He's going to be completely away from anything alcoholic. And, and at this time in Israel, that wasn't normal. This is very reminiscent of what we see when the announcement of Samson's birth out of the Old Testament happens. And, and this takes us back to the Nazarite vows. Like, like, you don't drink, which means you are set aside for God's purpose. That, that's what's going on here. Is, is John is going to be set aside for God's purpose for a very specific thing. Secondly, he says, from the womb, this baby, this John, will be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, you and I, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we, we also become filled with the Holy Ghost. But in this time in history, in this time in the Bible, this was not normal. This was, this was a gift given to prophets. This was a gift given to protectors of Israel. This was not for the masses. And John is going to have the Holy Ghost. But specifically, I want to notice this. We can't go over this part of the story. It tells us a little bit of truth about God's plan and importance for children while still in the womb. That God had a plan for this baby as he is what we would call a fetus in the womb before his birth. Something that our, our world needs to hear and focus on today. And third, it says that John is going to go out with the spirit and the power with Elijah. And if you, if you know anything about the Old Testament, Elijah is an exciting name. Elijah did all kinds of things. He called down fire from heaven. Elijah is one of three people in the Bible that are still not dead. That he's, he's one of three. One of those is Jesus, who was dead and then wasn't. He's one of three. He was taken into um, heaven in a chariot of fire. And so this is exciting, but it's not just exciting that he has the spirit and the power of Elijah. It's not just exciting that he can do the things that Elijah was able to do. There's a prophecy attached to Elijah, and it's in Malachi 4. Listen to this. It says, he will turn, the, talking about Elijah coming back, he will come back, and, and then it says this, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to the parents. Does that sound familiar? Because I think we just read that in verse 17 of Luke 1. Talking about John, it says, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So what this tells us about John is that he is coming back with the power of Elijah. And this is important because at this time there was a belief that Elijah would precede the coming of the Messiah. It's, well, it's not a belief, it was a prophecy. And so at Passover every year, they would take a chair and they would sit at the table and they would take a cup and they would fill it up and nobody would touch that cup or chair because there was this expectation, Elijah's coming back and that will be an announcement to the world that God is about to start his plan for the Messiah. And so after Malachi chapter 4, there's 400 years of silence. The last thing we hear out of the Old Testament is look for Elijah. That's, that's going to be the start of something new. Look for somebody to come back as the power of Elijah. 
No revelation, no prophecy for 400 years. And suddenly here, Zacharias gets a message from an angel that you're going to have a child born with the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now let's be, let's be completely clear here. Elijah is not being reincarnated in John. It's about the spirit and the power that was given to Elijah from God being given to John. So that leads us to this question. Why would God send someone with this, this dedication to God, the Holy Ghost in them from the womb, and the spirit and the power of Elijah? Well, what's his purpose? And John had one purpose. It was to be an announcement to the world that the Messiah is coming. Announcement in the world that the Christmas story is about to start. It's an announcement to the world that things are about to change. And John does that in the womb. See, if you continue on to what we're going to read here in the next couple of weeks, Mary, after becoming pregnant with Jesus, goes to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth is still um, pregnant with John. And when, when Mary draws close, this infant, this fetus inside of Elizabeth, jumps for joy and, and lets his mom know that she is carrying the Messiah. Mary is carrying the Messiah. And that was John's purpose for all of his life. He lived in the wilderness. He ate, he ate locusts, which are like grasshoppers. Like, like, like that's what he did. That's all he cared about was, I've got a message to give out. It says that he wore camel skin, and, and not probably a nice one. Probably he found a dead, rotting camel on the side of a highway and thought, I can clothe myself with this. All he cared about was preaching the message that the Messiah is coming. He was the forerunner. He was getting people ready. He was preparing people's hearts for this big plan that God had. So in preparation, he had to do the groundwork of restoring people's hearts to God. Have you ever had a time in your life where you've drifted away from God for a day, week, a year, or a decade? It's okay if you have. I, I'm, it's part of my story. It's drifting away from God. And what we had at this time is Israel had drifted away from God. They had drifted away from the purposes that God had for them. They, they were <clears throat> completely focused on other things. They, they had almost forgotten the promise of a Messiah. And God sends this baby, John, to cause a stir. John's going to grab people as they're walking down the highway and be like, listen, Messiah's coming. You better get ready. Get your heart with God. He's baptizing people. He's in heated debates with the Pharisees about the kingdom of God, and he calls them all kinds of fun names that they don't like. And John creates this buzz all over Israel. Some people loved him, some people hated him, but everybody knew about him. It's kind of like at school and maybe at the places that you work. When there's drama somewhere, what does everybody talk about? I can talk about at school when, when kids get into a fight or when there's a breakup or when there's a new couple that gets together, everybody's talking about it. There's this buzz about what's going on. And everybody has an opinion about what should or shouldn't happen. But the biggest thing is everybody is informed about what's happening. And so John is going to burst onto the scene when he becomes an adult. And that's what he's going to do is he's going to create this buzz about, well, John says the Messiah is coming. And some people are going, well, he's wrong. And some people are going to be going, well, he's definitely right. And there's this discussion in Israel once again about, is the Messiah coming? Is the Messiah going to be here soon? And so he is preparing hearts by making people ask questions about the Messiah. Listen to this. This is our last take-home truth. There must be precise prep work in hearts before they are ready to accept Jesus. And some of you are sitting here today, and, and that, that timing that I talked about earlier, and what, you're, what you've been praying for and what's just heavy on your heart is, is, God, I have been asking you for the salvation of a family member for so long. Why will you not answer my question? Why will they not turn their hearts to you? And, and the answer may be is that it takes time 
time and preparation for a heart to receive Jesus. It takes time and preparation for someone to begin to understand and for God to work in their heart for them to get to that point where they will lay it on the line for Christ. And the same thing at this time, a whole world needed to be prepared for Jesus' entry. And so when we focus on Christmas, when we have this time of preparation or preparing our hearts for Christmas, this is what we're preparing on, is we are, are taking this time as a yearly reminder to remind ourselves of the preparation that God did and the planning that he put in to bring us a Messiah. It's not a fairy tale. It, it didn't just happen. It's something that is very special to, to our faith. It is something that is very special about us. And it's not about a star. It's not about a manger. It's not about a stable. It's not about shepherds. It's about a change in the world that is about to happen. And to this day, God still sends forerunners out with that same message. The change is about to happen. Forerunners going out, preparing people's hearts. Some of you guys didn't know that there's some John the Baptist people running around these days. You hadn't heard that, have you? Uh, if you don't believe me, trust me, do this. I want you to go home today, shut your door, lock it, and I want you to walk into your bathroom, and I want you to look in the mirror. Does it sound interesting to you that we carry within us the Holy Spirit, that our entire life is dedicated to spreading the news of Jesus Christ and preparing people's hearts? Because see, in the Christmas story, Jesus Christ came as a, ba as a baby who was laid in a manger. But this Bible tells me that he is coming back again as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords. And you know what our job in, is in the meantime? is to be the forerunners, to let people know that Christ is coming back. And here's what he did for you. Here's the plan when he was born of a virgin and he lived his life spotlessly and he died on a cross for your sins. That's our only purpose as Christians. That is what we are supposed to do. If I could have the musicians, please. Now, some of us in here, we, we may not know the reason that we celebrate Christmas. We may not understand it yet. We know the Christmas story, but we may not have that heart of celebration. And so there's two questions to ask. Is If you're here, is your heart prepared for Jesus Christ to come back again? And secondly, for us that, that have become Christians as followers of Christ, the, the question I have for us is, are our hearts prepared to be the forerunners God has called us to be? To go out into the world and spread the name of Jesus. Guys, over the last two weeks, this church has affected the gospel on hundreds of people, literally. But we don't do that out of habit. We don't do that by packing shoeboxes. We do that out of a heart of my job is to spread the gospel. My job is to let people know of the wonderfulness of Jesus Christ. And as we prepare for Christmas, as we plan for Christmas and we get our hearts right, I have to wonder, do we need our yearly reminder to get focused back on what matters and not things of this world? This is open to you to pray. I'll pray with you. I'll speak with you. I'll do anything. But don't leave here with your heart unprepared to do what God has for us when we walk out those doors.